So I make videos for newly injured wheelchair users to help them improve their quality of life and regain independence. What inspired me to do that is when I got first hurt about 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of videos out there on the internet. I remember frantically searching for keywords that had to do with my disability. I would search spinal cord injury, paraplegic, wheelchair, because I knew those were kind of like the three diagnoses that I had. I was going to be a wheelchair user and I was paralyzed. And, you know, I'm like, okay, what does my future look like? And I didn't really find any information out there. I knew I had a story to tell, but I didn't know how to tell it and I didn't know where to tell it. Welcome to Freewheeling with Carden. This podcast shares stories of people with various disabilities and shines a new light on accessibility topics. Our goal is to knock down barriers so we can roll through life a little easier and build a community to do this together. Please rate and follow this podcast or text Carden at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. We welcome you on your journey towards inclusion for all. And now, your host, Carden Wyckoff, global disability advocate and wheelchair warrior. All right, welcome back to another episode of Free Willing with Carden. I have Richard with me joining virtually. Hey, Richard, how's it going? Hey, Carden, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. And I decided to bring you on today. We actually met at a uh, a music festival. Was it Shaky Beats last year in Atlanta? Yeah, and... it was. we were uh, stuck in the back of that baseball field. Yeah. <laughs> In the very far away accessible <laughs> seating. <laughs> yeah, and we were just commenting on like, where's the equity here in that platform stage being so far away from the main stage? We ended up just like going down to the the mosh pit <laughs> and hanging out there. Um, but it was really great to connect with you. And um, so obviously we follow each other on Instagram. I love seeing all your content that you push out, uh, just relating to disability um, empowerment, I think is where your platform really is on and um, just sharing your story about your spinal cord injury. So thanks. This is I really time. appreciate that. I, I've uh, been watching you too. And um, it's, it's cool to see that we've got a few uh, people in, in common and yeah. we know in common and, and even um, seeing the type of uh, activism and awareness that you're doing even locally, like on the city level, um, you know, that's, Thank you. Thanks. that's pretty neat. I, I'm much larger than I think local and you're very local. And I think that's super cool how we're kind of doing uh, similar things yet different at the same time. Totally. I mean, that's the purpose of advocacy. And, and I mean, we're all after the same goal, right? Just a more equitable, inclusive world and just the how you tackle it is how you want to tackle it. So um, got to do it from all angles. Yeah. And thanks to the internet, we can do it quite literally exactly however we want to do oh it. yeah <laughs> and you can be creative right now we have youtube and instagram and all these kinds of different media platforms yeah i've even seen people uh, pop off pretty hard on tiktok recently mm. like they'll have like some interesting they'll find a way to make a joke out of a of an issue we deal with daily mm. um for example like people rushing to open doors for us even if we're already <laughs> halfway through the door they might make a funny little skit out of it. And it's like, that's relatable. That's really relatable. 100%. No, I I think the common theme that I always find with people with disabilities is like humor keeps us going. And I love that. I think it, you shared that TikTok video and I liked it. Um, just you have someone running up to the door to help out, thinking that they're helping to open the door and they open it up the wrong way. And then that just causes 
you know, a 40 second delay and just trying to go through the door. Um. Yeah, I remember that was a, an initial challenge that I had to do with my family when I first got hurt um, was I had to teach them that the best help is no help because mm. the only way that I can do it the most effective and efficient way is if I do it my way. And the reason I know my way is best is because I've tested out that system hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. And whenever someone interjects themselves into one of my systems, it's like, I appreciate the gesture, but please understand when I say no, thank you. I'm not trying to be a tough guy. I literally mean, no, thank you. Please let me do it my way. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, like you said, it's a gesture thing and some people want to feel like they're helping and that's not always can be the case. I think, like you said, we can be super independent because we are a lot of times and we're like, we figured it out. We've mastered down the the weird, wor- wacky workaround and it works to a T for us. So, um, but yeah. So, um, but tell me a little bit about your injury and how that journey has been. And I kind of want to just dive into that. So I'll give you guys the kind of the quick spiel. So hello, listeners. Um, just so you guys know, um, I also have a podcast. So if you uh, eventually enjoy uh, me talking and you want to learn more about me, we also have a podcast and I'm sure Carton will eventually uh, link it somewhere and you'll be able to find it. But um, so I make videos uh, for newly injured wheelchair users to help them improve their quality of life and regain independence. And what inspired me to do that is when I got first hurt or uh, when I was first hurt about 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of uh, videos out there on the internet. I remember frantically searching for keywords that had to do with my disability. I would search spinal cord injury, paraplegic, wheelchair, because I knew those are kind of like the three diagnoses that I had. I was going to be a wheelchair user and I was paralyzed. And, you know, I'm like, okay, what does my future look like? And, and I didn't really find any information out there. So through a lot of uh, trial and error and uh, honestly, a lot of really tragic mistakes, um, about eight years after my, my accident, I was really bored creatively. I was just kind of stuck mm-hmm. in a hole and I knew I had a story to tell, but I didn't know how to tell it and I didn't know where to tell it. Um, and I tried a bunch of different ways to kind of um, tell my story without me being involved, whether that was through um, art or whether that was um, creative writing or some, some, I just wanted, I didn't want me to be a part of it because I was honestly really ashamed of my disability and I was ashamed of my mistakes and ashamed of my past. And I thought, no one, no one, no, I don't want to be part of it that way. And, and for right. whatever reason, the, the way the universe works or God or whatever you want to call it, just, I just continually failed. Like I just, I, I consistently, every time I, I tried to, to, to make me not a part of my story, and it just didn't work out. Um, so eventually I decided, okay, let me test something out. And at the time I was really watching this guy on YouTube named Casey Neistat, who used to always say, you don't have to be an interesting person. You just have to have a unique perspective and mm-hmm. share that perspective with the rest of the world. And I thought, okay, well, let me start videotaping or filming stuff that I do that's just different because I'm a wheelchair user. Yeah. So I got on Amazon and grabbed like a little vlog camera and a little tripod and decided to film myself going to the grocery store and then going to a concert. And um, those videos were so, so well received that Mm -hmm. in that moment, I was like, Ooh, I got something here. Like maybe if I, if I really 
approach this from a professional perspective. And before I even start, decide that I want this to be like my career, to be my vocation, then I can do it right. So um, I ended up finding um, a guy named Andrew who actually had me on his podcast first, the Andrew Deitch podcast. And that's how we became friends. And um, I got to listen to my story through his podcast. And I was like, oh, this is compelling. Like, mm, how, like, mm-hmm. what are we going to do to like figure out a way to like help these people? Because I wanted to like reduce suffering as much as possible because like, yeah. I had suffered so bad and made all the wrong decisions. I wanted to, to try the best I possibly could to make sure that no one else went through what, what I you went through. Yeah, exactly. Because it was it was horrible, man. It was it was horrible. And um, so I talk a, a lot about that, you know, within my messaging. And so I, I, I teamed up with Andrew and we teamed up with another person who kind of helped us get like all the back end done. And we took probably six months to really make like a solid launch. And when we launched, it, nothing really special happened, but we just stayed consistent. We stayed up on our Instagram game. We stayed up on Facebook. We stayed up on YouTube. We were just real consistent. And it's been about a year and a half now. And um, I'd say that we're doing um, pretty decent for where we're at. Um, Luckily, we've made it on three different magazine covers. We've won a Shorty Award. Um, We have approximately um, 250,000 people that follow us if you count TikTok, which I really don't count TikTok because anyone can kind of go viral on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, uh, true. but I just I just like to say a hundred thousand people because that's kind of like on Facebook and Instagram and on on um, on YouTube. That's kind of our our three main plays. That's awesome. And how did you go about building that audience? Was it just through putting out content regularly and so, people liking it? Consistent content with consistent messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, like I said in the little spiel is like, I make videos to, you know, help newly injured wheelchair users improve their quality of life and regain independence. So I use my channel to answer questions that I had when I first mm. got hurt. So more recently we did like a video on like, um, how to be a good dad. Um, we did another video on, um, you know, how to uh, be in a long-term relationship. We've done videos, you know, like how to do hand controlled go-kart racing. You know, we just kind of just do whatever we want to do and yeah. but answer those questions that I had about my own life that I know other people are mm-hmm. asking about their own life. And um, other strategies as far as like how the video is tagged and titled, um, you know, certain things when it comes to like when I get my pictures taken, I always make sure that the picture, the wheelchair is in the photo so mm-hmm. I can also tag it appropriately. So when you see it on the little square on Instagram <laughs> Discover, you go, oh, look, another wheelchair user. Let me tap on that. Exactly. Um, so building that consistent... Just. You're right, exactly. Because that's another thing about creating this social media influence for disability awareness and advocacy is you do kind of have to have the disability in the picture or else you people aren't going to know. You have to highlight really it. And I know some people are like, well, I want, I'm you know, ashamed of that and I don't want to showcase that. I know for me that there was a time where I used a scooter like from so I was walking and then I started using a scooter and then moved to a wheelchair. And when I first started using a scooter, it was I don't want anyone to see me. So you'll see if you go through my Instagram like during that year and a half, it's like you won't find any posts cuz I never took any pictures with me in the scooter. But now I I look at pictures w- using my wheelchair and I'm like I'm proud 
right? And also like people can relate to you. So um, what other things would you say to those people who are kind of facing those doubts and just not in that place, you know what that was like? Um, totally. And I, not confident with... Yeah, I think it's a common story. I think it's very um, common. I think it's it's normal to really have a resentment towards your mobility device at mm-hmm. the time. Whether sure. it's like braces, crutches, scooter, wheelchair, whatever it is. Because it's different. Not only is it different, you're, you're comparing your, your, your mm-hmm. old body to your new body. And, mm-hmm. and you start to see the mobility devices as... Um, a crutch, you know, people always say crutch as a, as a negative thing, but it's not, it's, it's something that's actually helping you be the best version of yourself. And, mm-hmm. um, like I briefly mentioned earlier, like I was so ashamed of my past and so ashamed of my wheelchair. I remember I went through all of my Facebook accounts, deleted every single thing. I remember I went through, mm-hmm. um, Instagram, deleted every single thing. I even spent like three or four weeks, like scrubbing myself from the internet. Cause I just, I didn't want to exist. I was a complete ghost. And now my entire platform is built on like me the talking opposite. about my, yeah, like my mental health <laughs> challenges that I've went through, yeah. my struggles with addiction, my physical disability, like everything that I tried to hide from and delete from the mm-hmm. internet is now like front page news. Like, <laughs> like this is who I am. Let me tell you the story about what not to do. So um, once I finally embraced it, and I think you're right. I mean, I've noticed there's an interesting trend um, even on Instagram specifically where people will have private accounts and then in their their profile picture, they won't have a picture of themselves in their chair. And um, I think it has a lot to do with kind of like public perception. Mm. Um, I know I struggled a lot with when I would see people looking at me, I would assume what they were thinking about me based on what I would think if I saw me. Mm. So I didn't really realize it until I, I got some advice mentorship, I guess, from a friend named Carson, who told me that it was internalized ableism, that what I was basically doing was hating myself for my disability, because before I had a disability, I didn't like disabled people. And I didn't even know that I didn't like disabled people. I had no idea. It was like an unconscious bias. Totally. And I was taking it out on myself. And I was assuming other people were thinking the same nasty things about myself as I would have thought about Mm -hmm. myself. Like, oh, look at this just lazy, dirty, stinky, smelly, good for nothing, waste of space, you know, angry guy, you know, oh, I bet people take care of him. Like he can Mm. never have a job. No one's going to love him. You know, I had all these like these these nasty voices in my head, but they were they were me. They were my own voices. And once I kind of realized that, like, I was the one who was being mean to myself and not really anybody else. And then once I realized that the the wheelchair and um, I'm not sure if you know this about me, but it's very open that like I can stand and walk sometimes and I use crutches yeah. around. And- you were standing. Actually, that was the first time that I'd ever seen someone who with a spinal cord injury at the music festival, you just got up and stood and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was so surprised that I was like, wait, you could do that? Um, yeah, and then that's... I remember actually the security guard, you were standing with your girlfriend and like your wheelchair was like just a little further back than normal. And the security guard came up and was like, excuse me, sir, um, this is only for uh, wheelchair users. And he's like, yeah, that's my wheelchair. <laughs> I was like, you see the empty one behind me? That's mine. That's mine right there. <laughs> and he was like... 
He did a double take just like how I did. Um, but yeah, I think that's certainly a misconception that um, just because someone uses a wheelchair that they can't stand on their own. Me personally, my disability is different. Like I have a progressive muscle disease. So I now I don't stand on my own and trying to stand is almost impossible. But for you, it sounds like you do have that abil- ability and you have some stability to do that. What was that like getting that back or being able to do that? Yeah, my mobility is a really weird story. So <laughs> I, when I first got hurt, so I've, uh, like you mentioned, a spinal cord injury, but it's very low on the spinal cord. And usually the lower the level of injury, the more um, function you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty low. I'm at the, in the L, I'm L2. So that's like um, below. Lumbar? The, yep, in the lumbar. Yeah, so um, in that area, um, when most people... They, they are usually considered what's called an incomplete spinal cord injury, which means that you have some um, temperature sensation, you've got some muscle mm. movement, you've got um, some ability to do soft touch or hard touch. Or The big issue is really pain because you can feel everything. That's like the worst part of it. Yeah. Um, but I very quickly realized that um, I couldn't really get back to where I wanted to be. Like in the first like couple of months, I think six to nine months, I was like, dude, there's no way I'm going to get back to like anything close to where mm-hmm. I was. And I was able to, with my right leg is pretty strong, I was able to stand while holding on to things, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to walk unless I had like a huge clunky brace and like two crutches. So I was like, dude, I'm just going to roll around on the chair. I'm going to get back to work. I'm going to get back to school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did. In a matter of nine months, I was back to school and back to work and awesome. my um, degree. And I was really proud of myself. And um, at the time, I kind of still had some of that like nasty, you know, ableism in my head. And I, I mm-hmm. pushed myself away from the community as far as I could go because I'm not like those guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not like the rest of them. Like I'm different. You know, mm-hmm. I had the you know uniqueness, or I thought I was unique. And um, unfortunately, during it, during that time period, I mean, this was very uh, slow and progressive. This was over like a four or five year period. Um, you know, I eventually, you know, got out of school because I was trying to work more. And when I was working more, I unfortunately started using a lot of um, drugs the doctors were giving me. I was, mm-hmm. you know, taking like the opiate pain painkillers, and I was taking a lot of the like uh, anxiety medicines and a lot of the um, like study drugs, like all the amphetamines. Mm-hmm. So I was basically speedballing all day. Mm-hmm. And um, just got in a real bad mental place and just declined just horribly um, mm-hmm. over the next couple of years. I mean, it was slow and progressive. It was, it was really bad mm-hmm. um, to the point where um, I tried to end it a few times. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I can't take this anymore. Like, this yeah. is horrible. Like, I don't, I don't like this. And um, then by the time I made it to uh, rehab uh, and got clean and got my mental health in order, got my physical health in order and basically stopped poisoning myself with all, all these drugs. My body was like, Oh, Hey, we're going to start like waking up now six years later. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, I I was, I was in so much pain. I was so uncomfortable, but I couldn't take drugs to get rid of the pain. I just had to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I got really like squirmy in my wheelchair. And I started like laying on the ground more and like sitting, you know, crisscross and, you know, walking around mm-hmm. on my crutches. And I was like, this is, I don't like being in my chair anymore. This is weird. Like I used to be okay being in the chair, but now it's like, it hurts too much to be in the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent probably two years getting as much back as I could. And I was able to go from uh, two crutches and a full leg brace um, to two crutches and basically brace on my ankle. 
mm. and then two crutches with no brace and then one crutch and then no crutch um, over a matter of about two years. And cool. that was cool, um, but it was excruciating. Like, it was a lot. Okay. Um, and the whole time I was still mixed mobility. I always kept my wheelchair close by. Mm. I think there was only one time ever that I went the whole day without using my wheelchair. Like only one day ever. Um, and it was like an easy day. I think I just had to like waddle to the car, drive somewhere, and then like waddle back. Like it wasn't anything big deal. Um, so um, those are a couple of video topics I actually talk about pretty regularly on my channel about why I choose to use a wheelchair even though I can walk. Um, and those always strike a lot of controversy because um, a lot of people in the spinal cord injury community don't mm. even have the option to try. You know, their mm. bodies their bodies aren't aren't there. So... Um, there are a lot of semi-ambulatory wheelchair users, but not a lot of semi-ambulatory spinal cord injury wheelchair mm. users. So um, it's kind of funny, like the people that dislike me the most are the people that are the close, the closest related to me because mm. through whatever reason. I'm, yeah, it's their I'm own in it, internal issues. It's their own whatever, but I, <laughs> I managed to achieve the one thing that they've wanted to achieve their whole life and mm. then I I kind of achieved it. I mean not really because I'm so like maybe most 10% of the time of what I used to be. Like 10% yeah. of able bodied Richard. Like yeah, sure I can stand and walk, but for like how long? Like for how far? How much pain am I going to be in the next day? Can I carry anything? How slow am I going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, like the wheelchair is is nice relative to yeah. just walking around all the time. And then uh, December of this year, um, I was actually struck by a car and broke my leg, and mm. um, oh my goodness. I had to learn how to walk again, again, again. And I'm so oh, focused geez. on wheels to walking right now that I don't know if I care enough to put in another two years of you know like of my own like physical therapy mm. and like diet and exercise and coaching and physical therapy and like that was like a full-time job for me for like two sure. years now that I'm so deep into this wheels to walking rabbit hole I'm like I don't know if I want to I mean I want the pain to go away but how much effort do I want to put in hmm. and and that's kind of a thing that I also tend to talk about a lot on my channel is like like get as much back as you possibly can but don't forget you have the rest of your life like mm-hmm. you still have like career you still have relationships you still have friendships like you still have other dreams and goals and ambitions. And I think a lot of people, they're like, oh, my legs were working and life was going great. My legs stopped working. Life is going bad. So the only way to make my life Mm. great again is to get my legs back. And it's like, that's not necessarily true. Like in order, you don't have to get your legs back to get your life back. Like you can, you can still live a fulfilling life. And that's, that's like a huge thing that I do on the channel is I just show people. I'm like, look at all this cool stuff that you can do. Like you can still use a wheelchair and still crush it. Like you can fine tune your craft and be an athlete and do extreme sports and travel the world. It doesn't matter. It's not, it's not over. It's just different. And you know, that's a very long, short story of, (laughs) of, of my whole walking journey. And I, I actually have a, a series of emails I've written called The Untold Story, and you can find those um, on my website. And oh. um, that kind of dives in much deeper if anyone wants to go check those out. There's so many nuggets of great gems in there. Um, just kind of just you were presented with something and you had to change your life around. And 
then another thing happened again to complicate that. And it's like, okay, how do you continue to just overcome those obstacles? It's like, well, you had two years of your life that you dedicated to getting a lot of your walking back and then it set you back again. You were hit by a car just immediately, just two years, just basically gone out the window. Um, And you're also saying how when that happens, there's other things in your life that are important that you have to manage your time. And I know you're in a relationship now and what is that like if you were to think about dedicating that time, would you have time? Yeah, and that's that's the whole thing is I got to figure out what's important to me, um, not mm-hmm. just for now, but also for the long term. And um, I it gives me the opportunity to practice what I preach, honestly. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't like what I have to say about my own personal mobility and my uh, philosophy or my opinions on on mobility because they look at me and say, oh, well, easy for you to say because you've succeeded. Oh, easy for you to say because you've done it. And I'm like, well, yes and no. And then we have a situation where it's pretty much back to zero. I mean, it's it's rough. But I'm now able to go, well, what have I been saying to all my wheelie boys from the beginning? I've been saying like... It's like it's like it's like, it's like get your. I love that. It's like you. It's like focus on your life and get as much mobility as you can. And mm-hmm. for me, the two things that matter the most is my relationship with my girlfriend and wheels to walking. Those are like the two things that matter the mm-hmm. most. And walking is not required for those things. Sure, <laughs> walk, sure, walking is nice. Um, yeah. But in order to have a fulfilling relationship and a fulfilling career and um, a vibrant career and a vibrant relationship, it's not. A requirement like i don't have mm. to be like oh man well let me just take another two years and just put everything on hold again and i'm like yeah ah, that's i'll do the most i can now and what i have is about an hour a day and i i incorporate physical therapy into my regular gym routine so whatever mm-hmm. workouts i do i throw in 15 to 20 minutes of like functional strength training for um my legs and then that's kind of it uh, when before it used to be an hour and a half to two hours every day. Mm. Now I spend maybe 15 to 20 minutes every day. Yeah. That's just kind of doing little stuff, not even like big stuff like I used to do before. Because the recovery isn't like, oh, it just takes six weeks and you're back to normal, like a typical injury. It's way more involved. Is it because of the lack of mobility or the sensation or um, range of motion? Or is it? I mean, like it's, it's, it's so many, everything. It's, it's, um, so anyone, even a fully able-bodied person, if they don't walk for three to six months, they're going to have muscle wasting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have balance issues. They're going to have mobility issues. They're going to have pain issues. Um, and so I already have atrophied muscles. I already have tight tendons. I already have weak joints. I already have compromised bones. Mm-hmm. Added on top of all of that, it's like, whew, this is a lot. Like this would... <laughs> I, w- I would almost have to go to like a special kind of like neuro recovery, mm. rehabilitation, and I'd probably have to do that for three to six months while also modifying a diet and maybe even experimenting with some, you know, special supplements from different countries and, you know, just kind of fig- <laughs> like figuring out like yeah how much effort I want to put into this and, and for, again, and this might change in a couple of years. Like mm-hmm. in a couple of years, I might go, okay, cool. My relationship's going great. My business is going great. All I want to do now is focus on my mobility. But 
Mm-hmm. Before I had a business and before I had a relationship, I could focus all my time and attention on kind of fixing my body. Yeah. And and now that I'm very committed to uh, my relationship and even more committed, I think, to my business, which is strange mm-hmm. to think about because they're both very equally important to me. Um, those are the things that matter to me the most right now. Not necessarily getting back what I lost because I already knew what that was like for six previous years. So it's not yeah. anything new to me. And I I know the relationship is really important to you. And I did meet your lady at the music festival. And um, just thinking about... I, you've spoken on your platform about not think, thinking that you'll never be able to find love or like having all that self-doubt. And that's something I think comes up a lot with people with disabilities. I've even thought about it many a times myself, like, oh, no one wants to love me because I use a wheelchair and I have limited range of motion and I can't do certain things, right? What do you say to those people? And because obviously, yeah, you are in a relationship and you do use a wheelchair. So the... Again, it kind of goes back to the theme where I had to do a lot of inner work first. Mm-hmm. I had to realize that the language I was using to describe myself was wrong. Um, I used to think that I was weak and fragile and broken and damaged and unlovable and that no one could ever commit to me because I would have all these issues and I didn't want to hold them back because, you know, well, what if they want to do stuff and I can't do things and I want yeah. to be a burden. And like, I just had a lot of this like negative self-talk and the way I was able to get out of that was that I started dating myself. I started taking mm-hmm. myself to concerts and to art shows and to movies and to restaurants. And I really just started like trying to like woo myself. <laughs> and and that, that's that, form of, like, that form of self-love gave me a lot of confidence because then I didn't feel like I, I needed to be with mm-hmm. someone or I had to be with someone in order yep. to you know, complete me or or what whatever those emotions are that we feel towards the significant other. And um, you know, I had I had been doing that for about the same time I was working on getting my walk back, which is around two years that I was really just focusing on, you know, trying to hook up with myself. You know, it was like this, Yeah. Oh, no, like, that's so whole, important. This whole, this whole thing. And then once I I I was like, you know, I'm okay by myself. Like I'm good. You know, like mm-hmm. I enjoy hanging out with me, like mm-hmm. I pretty much like don't really want or need anyone else around. And then, you know, that's right about the time I started. I was like, oh, like, how can I work on my craft? Like, what can I do professionally? Like, how can I move myself forward? Because not only the, the disability set me back really bad, but like you can't really improve your trajectory in life when you're addicted to drugs either. So, mm-hmm. you know, at 26, when I got clean, I felt like I was 20. You know, so I'm 31 now and I feel like I'm 25 because I've just been playing catch up all this time. <laughs> um, so when I was like, okay, how can I, you know, like really focus on like my career? And then um, I I bumped into my girlfriend at the gym. I was like, oh, hey, she's kind of cute. Let me go talk to her. And, <laughs> and like, I still wear them to the day. I wear these little like stringer, like bikini type things. I got the beard. I got the tattoos. Like. I, nice. I'm, I'm always chatting with, with girls anyway. And that's mainly because I grew up in a house with two older sisters and a mom. So I'm way more comfortable with girls than I am with guys. Oh, that's so, so interesting. So she thought I was just this big flirt. She was like, oh gosh, don't come talk to me. Like this douchebag's going to make fun of me. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with them. Um, and we just started talking. And then 
basically, I took her on all the dates that I had taken myself on. Oh, I just, nice. I just did all of the things that I already knew were accessible, that I already knew were fun, that I mm. already knew were good. And it blew her mind. She was like, these are the best dates I've ever been on in my entire life. Like, how did you find out about these things? And I was like, well, <laughs> I, I did them. I was like, I did them. <laughs> um, and then we just became adventure buddies for like the whole summer. Like, I remember at one point, like three weeks straight, we did not stop hanging out with each other. I was either at her house, she was at my house. Like, only when we she would go to work was were we not together and I would still go see her for lunch. And um, it, it kind of just worked out well where she she has said multiple times and usually when people ask her, you know, like, oh, what's it like to, you know, you know, date a guy in a wheelchair or like, you know, what was the first thing you saw in him? Like, why was serious you- question? And and she's always like, well, I mean, his confidence blinded me. She's like, I didn't even really like notice. She's like, obviously, I saw the wheelchair like I knew didn't like able click but, but it wasn't like a thought in my head she's like I was just wowed at how like driven and passionate mm. and interesting and and compelling of a human being that I didn't see it as a as a negative thing she's mm. like because all the other able-bodied guys that I had been dating before in comparison were just lame and boring and kind of like <laughs> bad people like they were just like regular dudes who had like regular jobs that were just like taking them out to bars and restaurants and trying to hook up. And she's like, you were like full on adventure mode. And mm-hmm. she's like, that's what I was all about. So yeah. I think the, the best advice I have for, for guys when they ask me this question is like confidence is key, but you don't just get confidence. You have to build up your own confidence account. And how mm-hmm. you build up your confidence account is by working out and showering and wearing nice clothes and getting a haircut and shaving and going out and doing fun and interesting things to make yourself a fun and interesting person. Mm -hmm. And then someone will be in parallel with you and you don't even know it. And then when you meet them, you just keep moving forward at the same direction. Right. You have to have that confidence and you have to have, I like you say, the confidence account. So in uh, this uh, seven habits of highly effective people, it's the emotional bank account. So similar concept of you have to build up that emotional and confidence bank account for your own self because so many people are uncomfortable being with themselves and only themselves and with their mind and their thoughts and their intrusive thoughts. Um, It's a real issue. And I think also with the pandemic happening, it's allowed a lot of people to sit with themselves and their mind and their thoughts. And it's uh, been uh, really devastating for a lot of people in terms of the mental health. Um, I think it's different for the disability community. Yeah, I I think the disability community, we've been set up for this. Like this is not (laughs) new. Like social distancing, social isolation, not being included in things is not anything new to us. So we have an advantage that we get to kind of share with the rest of the world and be like, oh, Mm -hmm. you want to learn from some experts? Like, (laughs) <laughs> like, come on. Like, I, like I, I knew a girl she's like dude I spent three years in a bed in a room shut up like this is not hard um, so I think you're right though I love it's, you it's, saying that <laughs> <laughs> come talk to us we the experts <laughs> no seriously it's like we, the we real have, truth we, is because like I see people like just struggling and I'm over here thriving like oh you mean I get to have a 12 hour uninterrupted work day yes please 
Like, right. oh, you mean I only have to go to the grocery store once every two weeks? Yes. Like, okay. oh, you mean no one, I, I'm not obligated <laughs> to go socialize all the time? Cool. Yeah. You know, but I, I think you're right. There's two kinds of people that have, have kind of gone through the, the pandemic. And on the other side, it's the people that have um, kind of talked to their darkness, have acknowledged mm-hmm. their darkness, has spoke to their darkness. The people that have used this time to create um, a, a dialogue with themselves are going to come out changed people. And I think those same mm-hmm. people are probably the same ones that are going to have a lot of gratitude for themselves and for their lives. Like I remember the other day, I was doing laundry and I got really emotional. I was like, I'm grateful that I don't have to haul this to a creek somewhere <laughs> and wash it off with some soap and hang it up to dry. And it takes my entire day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, oh, like I got this nice little washing machine with me. And that was sure. just like a, a silly bit of gratitude. And I, I think those are the people that are going to be positively transformed, mm-hmm. the ones that kind of have acknowledged their demons or their darkness or whatever you want to call it. And that have have learned to become a better person and become more grateful and have, and have used this extra time to improve their quality of life or their education or their business or read books or become a better parent or a, a better lover or what whatever it may be. But mm-hmm. then on the flip side, there's the people that um, have decided, okay, this is when I kill myself, and they do. Mm. Or the people that are drowning out their their darkness with drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. you know. Or the people that are mindlessly consuming media and that are full of fear and that are addicted yeah. to scroll and are constantly creating drama for themselves and controversies. And it's like, I think post pandemic, there's going to be a clear, defined line between the people that actually chose to get real with themselves and then the mm-hmm. people that actively chose to um, desperately find any reason to escape themselves. And mm. I think kind of with this this first wave of openings, we're kind of seeing those people that were desperate the whole time to go like, let me get out of here. Like, I need to escape my own head yeah. um, that are out there doing that right now. And I think mm-hmm. the people that um, are full of gratitude and the people that have chosen to better themselves are like, okay, like things are opening up, but honestly, like I'm, I'm kind of cool. just chilling by myself right now. Like, yeah. I like how you framed darkness as if it sounded like to me that it was almost like another person. Like you have to sit with your darkness as if like you were sitting across the room from someone that, you know, was this big, scary beast. But, um, yeah, that's something I, I learned, um, in therapy. Uh, mm. is to kind of take each one of your issues um, and, and separate it into its own person. Mm. And then you have, it's you. It's not like it's a sure. something else, but you can name it. And then when you, when you name it and you acknowledge it, you can like ex- talk shit to it almost. <laughs> like, like I na- for example, like I named my addiction Slick. And Slick wants nothing but my demise. He wants mm. to be lazy. He wants to be unproductive. He was a pleasure seeker. And he wants nothing but for me to not be successful. So I have to actively, you know, have some type of mental jujitsu to fight off Slick. I have to con- like, listen here, Slick. <laughs> exactly. You know, he's smooth. He's a smooth talk. He's like, man, just eat that extra junk food. Don't go to the gym today. Like, you get to work mm. half a day. Like, whatever. You know, it's like, it's it's realizing that there's this this second part of me that doesn't like what I'm up to currently 
because that person's still lives inside mm-hmm. of me. And, you know, I also deal with um, some mental health issues, you know, anxiety, depression, and even some traits of bipolar. And like those characters, like they have mm-hmm. their own traits. And whenever I see them popping up, I'm like, oh, I got to check that one. Like that mm-hmm. one will get me in trouble. <laughs> and by framing it as something else, you can you frame it and then you name it and then you can like systematically break it down, you know, mm-hmm. even to the point where um, it's hard to do, but like legitimately have a conversation with yourself in a mirror, like roll up to a mirror, like look at yourself dead in the eyes and be like, hey, what are you doing right now? <laughs> you know, and to like to have that conversation <sighs> is very strange because it's you. Like you're yeah. literally talking to yourself, but if you are talking to the part of yourself that you're not a big fan of or mm. a part of yourself that you don't like or a part of yourself that you wish would do better, you can have like some real conversations and there's no secrets. Mm-hmm. So there's there's nothing new to be afraid of, you know, be like whether it's something as simple as like, you know, scrolling social media all day. It's like, what are you trying to avoid? Like what, mm-hmm. what hard work is it that you're attempting not to do by pretending to do work somewhere else? Like, what, what are you doing? And, you know, yeah. and then I get to answer my own question or it can be something as deep and as dark as, you know, mommy issues or daddy issues or, mm-hmm. you know, problems with your own personal self or your own personal body. Or if you're struggling with, you know, addiction problems or whatever it may be, like those are obviously a bit more deep, but you can still have conversations with that kind of that piece of who you are. Hmm. Wow. I'm going to try that. Go up into the mirror and listen here, slick or whatever I call my, my secondary person. Because yeah, we all have those. We all have those secondary personas and personalities or if we want to like name them as like different thought, like intrusive thoughts. Um, We all are going to have those self doubts, whether or not it's a, a full clinical diagnosis or not. It's just, we're actively thinking all the time and it's easy for those things to just intrude and invade our mind. Um, especially when we have so many current events going on um, that are just a lot of unrest, unjust, COVID, all that. So um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, that's great advice for really everyone. Disability or not, doesn't really yeah, I matter. Think, I think when I realized like that, my feelings and my emotions are a way that my my own mind is trying to communicate with me. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's a clear defined line between like a logical part of my brain and like an emotional part of my brain and how they communicate back and forth is through feelings. So mm-hmm. whenever I would get like a very strong feeling about it, I'd be like, okay, who's trying to tell me what? Like what's going on here? Like what what is what is this that's happening inside of me? You know, and trying to like investigate that and figure out what it's trying to tell you. Um, Because it's when those thoughts turn to actions is when it can be bad or it could be good. just depends on what the action that you end up carrying out. Absolutely. And, and, And some people, and me included in this, are victims of our impulses. We don't even have a filter between thought and action. It just happens. And then, and then after the fact, you look back on it and you're like, what was that? Right. You know, but being able to like put the filter before the action is not easy at all. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of work to do. But um, like I, I, I have no shame at admitting that I went to years and years of therapy and I was involved in twelve step programs and I went to rehab and that was super intensive and 
you know, when you have a disability combined with an active addiction, it you're you're animalistic. You are mm. purely animalistic. Like all you care about is like eating and sleeping and 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 using drugs. And honestly, you could skip the eating part because drugs are more important to you. Mm. And you forget to um, you know, shower, you forget to communicate with people, you forget to clean up, like you mm. just become quite literally an animal. And you forget how to socialize and you forget what emotions are and what feelings are because you're constantly trying to just push push those feelings down with chemicals and it wasn't it was only until after i got clean that i realized that i had never actually dealt with um, mm, my root. I, I had no oh. idea i had no because i had a lot of issues before i got paralyzed and then when i got paralyzed that became the main issue but mm -hmm. What I failed to do was acknowledge not only the the paralysis and you know my com life completely changing forever as I I never even acknowledged the stuff in my past too. Mm. So I was just really good at just shoving it down. That um, it 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 started to like spew over, mm. and how I regulated those emotions was with the drugs the doctors were giving me. Oh, too sad, take this pill. Oh, too happy, mm -hmm. take this pill. Too anxious, take this pill. Oh, too insert the blank, take this pill. It was just like a pill for everything. So <laughs> I, I just used drugs to regulate everything about myself. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, I neglected everything and I've completely ruined my brain chemistry for life. Like I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to be on antidepressants forever because all, all of the, the pipes that are responsible for building chemicals just shut down mm -hmm. simply because for years I was externally taking those drugs. Mm -hmm. um, but that was insane to think about because i think about <laughs> one i want to make sure no one else does that so that's why yeah, i'm very open sure. and i talk about it but then you know where i am today is a dream dude it's crazy like it's, <laughs> it is it is yeah wild. you've really made a living for yourself and a name for yourself your brand and you certainly have a mark on the internet and also in the community in atlanta for sure and outside of the the community um, in regards to the the drugs, though, if we were to, I mean, I don't want to point fingers, but also, it, do you think it's the responsibility of the doctors and the physicians to realize that you know we're giving you all these medications to check off boxes to make you quote feel better, but you're actually making yourself worse? Where was that line drawn? It's complicated. So I'm I'm still a individual. I'm still a person. I still have a freedom of choice, right? Sure. Like, um, but uh, addiction is is complicated because uh, it compels you. Mm. You're you're operating out of your your deep root brain. You're operating out of your lizard brain, basically. <laughs> and all that one knows is to procreate uh, and to eat and to seek pleasure. That's all it knows. Mm. Um, and so. I don't necessarily think it was the responsibility of the doctor, but I feel like the doctor definitely had a role. Mm -hmm. um, I, I say it this way, like my, my drug dealers were doctors. You know, I didn't go to the streets. I went to the clinic. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the clinic, I was very dishonest. I lied. I, I made mm -hmm. sure to shower and shave and put on clean clothes and to sit upright and to speak articulately and you know to ask the right questions and finesse as much as i could and mm. 
I mean, there was one point I was seeing a couple of doctors. I was seeing, you know, two, three people at a time. And I was the master manipulator. Um, mm. So I don't even know if they knew how much I was manipulating the situation. But mm. I think the, the challenge is, is like these drugs, the ones I'm specifically talking about, which are like class two narcotics, which are like your amphetamines, your opiates, and your, your benzos. And I have found that those are very quick fixes. Mm. It's like, oh, you're in pain? Take this pill. Boom. But I could have stretched. I could have worked out. Mm. You know, I, I could have eaten better. You know, I could have sat out in the sun. You know, like there's a lot of things I could have done. Mm. Well, you can't focus. Here, take this pill. Boom. Well, I could have learned how to study better. I could have been more focused. I could have, you know, learned how to be more, you know, attention oriented. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's so many things I could have done differently, but these little powerful pills are just immediate quick fixes. Mm. Oh, you're anxious? Here, take a pill. Boop. Oh, you're sad? Oh, take a pill. Boop. And thanks to going through rehab and working 12 steps and going to therapy and figuring out what the heck was going on in my brain and how to regulate my emotions on my own and how to eat right and how to exercise and how to socialize and how to, you know, take care of myself with my hygiene. Like I, I've learned how to create those feelings externally um, instead of having to take something mm. to create those, those feelings. So it's like you take a pill, your brain has a chemical reaction because the pills are in your stomach. Now, if I'm feeling a certain type of way, I'll go push around the block outside and mm -hmm. the sun and the exercise and the fresh air makes me feel a certain type of way. Or I'll yeah. call a friend and that makes me feel a certain type of way. Or I'll go to the gym and that makes me feel a certain type of way. Like there's, there's different ways that I can create those chemical reactions in my brain as opposed to taking a pill. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where physicians could do a lot better job is, is kind of like a whole person approach instead of necessarily a like specific pill that like, fixes fixes the problem. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, I would like to see a whole person approach. I think that's what DOs do, the doctor of osteopathic medicine. Like you can go MD or DO route. I think DOs focus more on that. And also like naturopathic doctors, obviously they, they can't prescribe prescriptions, um, but they can certainly do like herbal treatments and acupuncture and stuff. I've always gravitated more toward those natural therapies when they've come about and less more so on the on the um, traditional medicine, taking pills and stuff, just because I don't, I don't want to go down that route. I don't want to be no, there. That's, that's super wise. Um, and, and the challenge with all of it is like, I'm kind of in your camp too, where it's like, mm -hmm. I'd much rather find a non-medicine, non-surgical approach to fixing yeah. whatever issue I'm dealing with. But the, the difficulty with that is, is you, uh, the science is, is either unmatched. Not, yeah. It's, it's either not there or it's super, mm. or it's super flimsy. You know, it's sure. a lot of, um, anecdotal. It's a lot of personal experience. It's mm -hmm. a lot of studies, you yeah. know, versus like, proper medicine, like MD medicine mm -hmm. is like that's been studied and it's like on animals scientifically like proven to to actually be precisely effective. And yeah. And and that's what's also really complicated about any type of therapy with disability is not all disabilities are the same. And mm -hmm. you 
can't have double blind studies because no one's going to volunteer be like, Ooh, I volunteer to be paralyzed for a couple of thousand bucks. And then we'll do this. We'll do this test and we'll do it at the exact same time that this other guy got accidentally paralyzed. So let's, let's wave magnets over his body and see if it works. And it's like, I mean, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, we don't know, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's like, it's like, there's, there's no way to prove or to disprove. And that's, yeah the challenge, especially when it comes to um, physical therapy stuff. I mean, dude, I could dive deep on like stem cells, for example, like that's Mm -hmm. mostly bogus, like almost like mostly bogus. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of... Well, because the stem cell, I mean, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a researcher, but my understanding is that because a stem cell is like the basic level of cell and it can literally go diverge into any type of cell. There's no way to control the pathway which it goes. That's what I understand of it as. Yeah, from what I understand about it is that it can uh, strengthen what already exists, but it mm-hmm. cannot create new... Like uh, out of nowhere. Yeah, it can't, it can't just poof. It can't yeah. just... <laughs> and, you can't just and, like make cotton candy it, out of it. Like, oh, there's all yeah. your muscle fibers brand new created. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is like, okay, so someone is a year and a half post-injury. Um, and then they decide to do six months of intensive outpatient program. And mm-hmm. then they have a result. That same person, 18 months out, does a stem cell treatment and then does six months of outpatient, phys- like hard intensive physical therapy. The end result is, might be exactly the same, but there's mm-hmm. no way to know because they either chose to or chose not to. There's, mm-hmm. there's no clear defined mm-hmm. anything in sense, um, specifically with spinal cord injury. And because I'm, I'm not too well versed with other disabilities too much is like they're, they're extremely unique. They're unique like fingerprints. They're all fingerprints. They're all spinal cord mm-hmm. injuries, but no two are the same. Mm. So there's, there's really no way to gauge how it works because of how the injury occurred. You know, mm-hmm. was it a fall? Was it a car crash? Was it a gunshot? You know, was it a motorcycle wreck? You know, was how damaged was the spinal? Yeah, it could have hit other nerves. Spine, you know, yeah. the rest the rest of the body could have been jacked up. You know, you never mm-hmm. it's, you never know. It's too complicated. But you know, mm-hmm. I I do like taking alternate routes as long as they're not too fishy. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> some of them you're like, mm, this seems like even if you could. Here's some snake it, oil. Exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of snake oil. A lot of it up there. A lot of snake oil. Well, thanks, uh, Richard, so much for your time. Is there any last one minute phrases or one sentence phrases that you want to share with the world? Your message for your platform? Oh, goodness. I think. Um, something I've been repeating to myself a lot and I repeat to a lot of people is um, progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, more than likely, you will never reach a point in your life where anything is going to be perfect and you never have to do anything perfectly because more than likely, it's never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So just do it. And then the next time you do it, try to be 1% better. And the next time you do it, try to do another 1%. And then nice. hopefully by the, by the hundredth time you've done it, um, you will be not perfect, but you'll still be making progress. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, yeah, don't try to be perfect. I see a All lot right. stunted. They don't, they don't start anything because mm. <laughs> they're so worried about doing it perfectly. It's like, yeah, yeah. just try it. You'll Let's see what happens. Let's do it. 
Well, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Gordon. Can I can I plug my podcast? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, please plug. <laughs> okay, plug cool. Give me all your plugs. I totally spaced. Yeah. Uh, no, it's totally fine. So if you have made it this far along in a podcast, that means you are a podcast listener. Um, so oh that's yeah. Good. That's good. Because, <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed listening to me talk, uh, go check out uh, my podcast at wheels two walking dot com forward slash podcast. That's the number two wheels two walking. And if you are interested in learning more about me or my story, you can go to uh, wheelstowalking.com and browse around. You can check out all my social medias. They're linked on there. And um, that's all my plugs. Thanks. Yay. Wheels to walking number two. Yeah. All right. Bye, wheelie friends. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to start using that. (laughs) No, I literally try to put the word wheel into every, like, like I, like my, like my guys that I talk to <laughs> are like my wheelie boys and like my, my wheelie other, boys. <laughs> but like my friends on wheels or I call them my wheel friends or whatever. Yeah. It's just an automatic bond. Like we don't even have, like, it's like, ah, we, Oh, totally. It's like an automatic in. Like, yeah. We, we know how the world is. Let's just be friends. You know? Right. Exactly. We have that understanding of a lot of FOMO and just facing inequities and challenges and roadblocks, regardless of whatever happened to you. It's you understand. <laughs> exactly. There's there's no need to like <laughs> try to explain yourself to other people. Oh, what a blessing to not have to like go through that whole awkward like new friendship phase where you have to like explain everything to them. Yeah. So I nice. usually when I meet new people who use wheelchairs, I never ask them and they never ask me what's wrong or what happened. It usually will come matter. up later, but yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't usually matter. It's always interesting because it's always like the people who are currently non-disabled, um, they're the ones that always ask. They're curious like, oh, why are you in a wheelchair? But people who use wheelchairs, they don't usually ask me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And, and I know we totally ended it, but I'm going to go on a little... Yeah, little, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> that's it's the like, great thing about a podcast, right? <laughs> we you can do whatever really, you want. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like... I think when you are talking with another person with a disability, they see you first. They, mm. they see like you, the person. Because yeah. to us, that's how we want to be seen. Like I want to be seen as a person. You want to be seen as a person. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be seen as your disability. And you don't want to be seen as your wheelchair or your crutches or your braces. So I think that's why we just skip that step and just talk mm. to the person. And and to an able-bodied person, the disability or the wheelchair could be the most interesting thing to them. But it's like, ask me about art. Ask me about music. <laughs> ask me about my favorite coffee shops. Anything else. Literally <laughs> anything else. Like, I have, I'm a very interesting person. This is just one thing that you see. You just mm-hmm. see it, so you're compelled to ask about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky enough and fortunate enough that I even have some able-bodied friends that I was friends with for a very long time. And somehow in conversation, I can't really recall. They're like, hey, man, what what did happen to you? Like, <laughs> I, like what's, what's up? Years mom? later. <laughs> and I'm like, you've literally never asked? And they're like, no. I, and I was like, I thought you would have asked by now. And they're like, no, <laughs> we don't care. We like you. Like, we're talking to you. Like, we're, I like that. We're, we're not even trying to, you know, like, figure out. Because I think in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. it's totally irrelevant. It is. Yeah. Like, what's wrong? Again, that, I hate that word. What's wrong with me? You're like, you know, why I use a wheelchair? Oh, like. It's like how much time you got? I'm in. The, I'm in the. Te- I'm in the <laughs> checkout line at Target right now. Okay, like I didn't. Got Do you want time. 27 years of my life? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell uh, you. 
Yeah, I've luckily found I a have hack. a story. <laughs> yeah, a, a little hack that I do is I, I carry, um, so my business cards, I'll show it to you real quick on the video. My, my business cards. Oh, cute. Better. Yeah. So um, what I do is whenever I, people will be like, hey, man, what happened to you? I'm like, this is really long and this is not the right time, but here, go check out my website or like jump on my social Oh, yeah. nice. Here's a sticker. I always say here's a sticker because people throw away business cards. People do not throw away stickers. Oh. So I say, oh, here's one of my stickers. Go check me out. And occasionally Smart. I'll get messages. Hey, you get some stickers then. Get some stickers. <laughs> get some stickers. Get some stickers. You got your, little, your little milk carton, your little carton of milk. I know. Sticker <laughs> I slap that on everything. Oh, cool. That's so interesting. Seeing the person and not the crutch, the wheelchair, the walker, the whatever. Um, yeah, there's just that underlying understanding in the disability community of you see the person. So yeah, I guess I that would be a great not. message for non-disabled is just see the person, not not the thing using that they're using. And I think eventually there's nothing wrong with asking about yeah. it, but it's, it's all about context. Like if your first question to me is, <laughs> hey man, what happened to you? I'm like, I don't know what happened to you. Like what happened to you? <laughs> You know, or when they ask these really personal questions, like out of nowhere, they're like, hey, can you have sex? It's like, can you? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, what's, what's going on here? Why are you, are you, would you ask your grandma that? Like, why are, right. like, why are you, like, why are you coming up to me with all these like really personal questions? Or but, it's like, how's your sperm count? Is it good? Nope. You have kids, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, tell me about that divorce. You had a kid that died, right? It's like, whoa. It's like, exactly. Right. Exactly. It's, it's a very so personal. personal. You know, but it I only. Oh, it's sorry. Kids, yeah. It's kids, I don't mind. Kids can ask as many questions as they want. Yeah. And I also really like it when maybe I've been friends with you for a couple of months and then we go out to coffee and we're chilling and we, and I've got an hour and a half to just talk with mm-hmm. you about it. Ask me then. Ask me then. But not yeah. first first arrival. Sure. I think it's also the context, like, let's say for me with like muscular dystrophy and I'm going to go do one of those awareness walks to help raise awareness and like fundraising for it. That's where it makes sense for you to ask me questions about it. Like, okay, I'm advocating and like spreading this message. Please come join. And this is my personal story. But not when so. you're on the bus chilling. Yeah. Like playing, on, playing on your phone by yourself. Right. Exactly. Like, no, no. <laughs> All right. Wheels to walk in number two. <laughs> Cardin. Thank you, Cardin. The Cardin of Milk. I literally died laughing when I saw that. I was like, this is the best. I love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. Bye, Richard. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text Cardin at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.